Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking to Head of Sports Science and Strength and Conditioning at Crystal Palace Football Club, Scott Gayette. Tune in to this episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So, this episode, I am bringing to you Scott Gayette, who is the head of sports science and strength and conditioning at Crystal Palace. So, in this episode with Scott, needless to say, top guy, got a lot in common with Scott, having come from a uh, an ex-playing background. Scott was much better than I was and did um, did much better in his career than, than myself but then ended up going on the same university uh, undergrad degree through the Professional Football Association Distance Learning so really interesting chat around Scott's background to start off as per usual but then I wanted to get as applied as possible and have a little ch- chat to Scott around balancing scientific best practice with real world constraints and how he balances them too then we have a little chat around um, around recovery. Um, we did this just after pre-season. So we had a, a little chat around pre-season versus in-season planning, some testing stuff, some daily and weekly monitoring stuff. And just try to get into the depths, into the weeds as possible with what goes on at Crystal Palace um, and, and Scott's role there. Then we transitioned into some player coach transition, um, getting player buy-in, some help there given Scott's background as I've touched on just now. And then his philosophy as a coach, his philosophy as a football coach, because that's what he's also qualified in, got a, um, his A license in um, in coaching technically. So a really interesting chat with Scott, which I'm sure you'll love. And um, yeah, I'd love to love I'd love your feedback from this episode with Scott and also previous episodes over the last couple of weeks. But enjoy this episode with Scott, and I'll chat to you soon. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Hawking Dynamics, the world's first wireless force plate testing system. So the Hawking Dynamics system is built around what coaches want so they can test in the real world and not just in the lab. So you're able to capture reliable data on all athletes in a matter of minutes and monitor progress from their cloud-based system from anywhere in the world. So as I've mentioned, the Hawking Dynamics force plates are wireless, which means they're portable, and they're also trusted by teams at a number of different levels in a number of different sports. So integrating force plates into your athlete monitoring system uh, could not be easier and more affordable. So if you want to get to know a little bit more about Hawking Dynamics or actually see their plates in action, Head over to the website, uh, which is hawkingdynamics.com, um, which you can, I mean, you can also schedule a demo, and follow them on Twitter at hawkingdynamics. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by iMeasureU. So used by leading sports practitioners and biomechanics researchers worldwide to capture and compare multi-limb inertial data in the field, IMU Step from iMeasureU is a dual sensor and app lower limb load monitoring tool which helps practitioners optimize return to play for running based sports. So iMeasureU have just released their new and improved waterproof sensor Blue Trident which includes ultra-high G capabilities to quantify high-impact steps such as cutting, landing and sprinting, longer battery life to collect data all day, 
real-time feedback to aid immediate interventions and faster workflow so practitioners can review long training sessions within minutes of training completion. iMeasureU, now part of Vicon, works with military, pro and collegiate coaches and athletes from around the world, including the Australian Institute of Sport, US Department of Defence and collegiate and pro teams from around the world. If you want to get to know more about iMeasureU, head over to their website imeasureu.com or follow them on Twitter or Instagram at iMeasureU. So without further ado, over to the episode with Scott Gayette. Thanks for tuning in to the Pacey Performance Podcast. So this afternoon, I am welcomed by Scott Gayette, who is the Head of Sports Science and Strength and Conditioning at Crystal Palace Football Club. So welcome to the podcast, mate. Cheers, Rob. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on. So in pure podcast tradition, just going over a bit of your background, a bit of your experiences, um, education-wise, and what you're doing at Crystal Palace. So over to you, mate. Yeah, so currently, uh, like you say, you know, Head of Sports Science and Strength and Conditioning at Crystal Palace Football Club. Um, been in this position now for about nine seasons, I think. Um, prior to that, I was uh, a professional footballer for, I think it was about 12 years now, uh, playing for mostly League One and League Two clubs, um, a few national conference clubs as well. I had about uh, 300 odd appearances, that sort of lower level football. Um, and it was while I was at Yeovil Town, I had four years at Yeovil Town. And while I was, while I was there, I decided to um, study and went uh, down the route of a, of a sports science degree um, through Manchester Metropolitan University. I think at the time it was, it was the first um, degree that Manchester, Manchester Metropolitan University had done for distance learning students and, and people in the armed forces. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been to, to Yeovil, but there's not a lot to do. So um, I took the opportunity, because I had so much spare time on my hands, to to study sport and exercise science. And um, the more I studied it, the more I became interested. I was, all, I was always interested in performance as a player, um, purely through my shortcomings, I think, as a, as a player. Um, so, so always had an interest in, in performance. Um, and, uh, and, yeah, that, that's where my, uh, my, my interests come from. Um, and that was about five years. That took me about five years to finish because it was part-time. Um, moved to Bournemouth as a player um, after my four years at Yeovil. I was lucky enough to work under Eddie Howe for uh, a season and a half. And um, once I was released from Bournemouth, I was lucky enough to, um, to pick up the job at Crystal Palace. Um, at the time, the club were in a, a completely different position to where they are now. Um, but... Um, yeah, how, how that came about was was, was quite interesting, really. A, a, a lad that was on my course uh, was doing doing the role that I'm doing now here at Crystal Palace and was offered the uh, the job at, at Leicester City when Sven Goran Eriksson took over and um, rang me up one Sunday and said, look, um, Crystal Palace, have, uh, they need a fitness coach because I'm leaving. They said I can leave as, as long as I find someone that can start almost immediately. Uh, he said, how would you, how would you feel? And um, I'd literally been released from, from Bournemouth about two months prior. And uh, I said, yeah, yeah. So um, jumped at the opportunity, um, come and met the manager, who at the time was, was George Burley, which seems like a lifetime ago, and um, had a short well, short and brief interview with, with him, and um, they offered me the job. Happy days. Mm. I didn't. I, I, we wouldn't have known this, but I did exactly the same distance learning degree as you at Manchester. Oh, really? Absolutely. 
So, yeah. But it was through the PFA, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Yeah, like I say, I think yeah. it was the first – I think I was on the, the, the first cohort. Um, it was okay. it was a new thing that they had started. And, and like I say, we, we had someone come around to, to yoga where I was at at the time and say, look, anyone interested? And I sort of said, yeah, put my hand up and, and I went for it, yeah. Nice. I think I started in – I started in like maybe 2009 and there was maybe 2008, 2009 and there was about 150 who were in the lecture theatre on the first day and five years later, I bet it was, I bet 15 graduated. Really? I bet maybe maybe 20. Oh, there was a huge drop off just because it was so long. Yes. It was yes. so like oh, such a drag. Yeah, well, but yeah, not very few people finished that course. Yeah, I, um, I can remember a few of the lads at the time, you know, saying to me, oh, you know, I think it was either a five or six year course at the time. And a few, a few of the, my teammates were saying, you know, God, you, you, you'll never finish that. Um, and I was, it, it was a really proud moment when I did actually, because I, I was never an academic. I, I, you know, I'd spent my life in, in football and, you know, finished school in Australia and, um, and, and come up to the, come up to the UK to try and make as a footballer and never gave university a thought. It was never in my head to, to go to university. Um, so to actually get a degree was, was a huge achievement for me. In fact, it almost became, you know, a, more of a focus for me than my football towards the latter stage of my career. Yeah. No, I can imagine it. And, and I was exactly the same. Um, never expected to go and do a degree and to do that and have it such a, a slog of them five, I think it might have been five and a half, yeah. mine took. Yeah. Uh, and just at the start thinking five and a half years, oh, wow. Mm. Um, yeah, it, mm. was a, it was a slog. But how was the um, how was the transition from playing to then being on the other side of the fence and actually being in front of the lads or some lads that you're you know, at Crystal Palace and telling them what to do? How was that transition for you? Did you find that quite difficult? Um. Not, not really. No, I mean, you know, I, I was—I must say—I was nervous my first couple of weeks because I—I never—I never sort of had a mentor. I'd never, you know, worked at a football club, you know, as an assistant or anything like that. I literally finished playing, um, and two months later was was sort of, you know, the, the fitness coach for a championship football club. Um, and at the time, they had no no real staff here. I think it was me and me and a young intern at the time. Um, you know, I'd never worked in an office. I'd never really had to report to anyone uh, apart from, the, you know, the, the, the manager. So I think that was that was the bigger challenge. The actual dealing with the players was was pretty straightforward. Some of the players that were here at the time, I'd actually been playing against, you know, a couple of seasons prior. Um, so although we, although I didn't know them well, I, you know, I, I did, I had come across them before. And I think, you know, having played football for the, for the number of years that I played, and I think it gives you a certain advantage when you go into that environment, definitely. Um, I see it now with a lot of, you know, young students coming out, internships and so forth, and, and coming out of university. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, university will never teach you is, is you know, that, that environment of a, of a football club. So I always had that, and I think that was a big, big, big help for me. So the, the, do you think the lads looked at you in a certain way knowing that, well, there's a certain amount of respect because you'd been one of them only a few months earlier? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I used to room with Joel Ward. You know, Wardy was my my roommate when, when we were together at Bournemouth. He was on loan from Portsmouth, you know, and, and, and six months later he signs for, 
for, for Crystal Palace and, you know, I'm, I'm taking him for, you know, uh, you know, running sessions and things like that. So, you know, I, I, I think, like I say, it, it does help. Um, and like, like I said, you know, you've come across those players before. So you've, you've got a relationship, although it's not a, you know, a, a mater relationship, you, you know those players. I think Adam Barrett was another player who was here at the time when I was here. And I can remember playing against him a number of times when he was at South End. When I was at Yeovil, it was, it was us and sort of South End that were um, vying for, for promotion. So you've got that little link, you know, and I, I always think that helps. So did you do your coaching badges as well? Yes. So I started my coaching badges um, uh, quite a while while ago, actually. I I never really set out to be a sports scientist. I I set out to be a, a coach. When I was playing, I you know, as with most players, they feel that the next progression is coaching. Um, but I always felt that I needed that little bit extra. Um, and that's why I went down to sports science because I thought it would – it would work and tie in nicely with my my coaching qualifications. So, you know, I started, you know, my my B license, and you know what years ago I think I think I went with uh, a few lads at, at, while I was at Yeovil. Um, but it was never my intention to to sort of work in this field as you know sports science. It was, you know, to to coach and to have a sports science you know knowledge really because I just felt that that was the way coaching was going at the time. You know, there was a lot more, you know, just towards the back end of my career when I was at Bournemouth, you know, Eddie brought in a, a fitness coach slash sports scientist. And that was probably my first exposure to, to that. Um, and probably one of the, one of the, you know, the regrets I had as, as, you know, after my career had finished was not having that knowledge while I was playing because, you know, I always questioned whether I could have been a better player, whether I could have been quicker or, you know, stronger because you know when I was when I was playing, I was doing all the wrong things. You know, I wasn't training properly. I don't think looking back now, I, I trained hard enough. I don't think I was fit enough. I certainly wasn't strong enough. Um, so if I had my time again, then I would you know definitely lean on some of the knowledge uh, that, that I've gained over the years. So how how has the coaching badges and have you got a, a pro license? You a, a license? A license at the moment, yeah, looking to looking to complete my pro license um, sort of in the next sort of year or so if I can. So how was that on the flip side to what you thought it would be, a coach who has a sports science influence? How has it been a sports scientist with a coaching influence? Has that given you the same positive effect as you thought the, the flip side would have been, would have had? Yeah, I think so. You know, you know when you talk sort of about philosophies and things like that, you know, my – my idea of a fitness, a football fitness coach is someone who, you know, isn't someone that just goes out there and sticks four poles in the, in, in, in the grass and tells the lads to run between them. I think you, you need to go into a lot more depth now, um, when you're designing, you know, drills, fitness drills. Um, and, and I think being a, a um, an A licensed qualified coach certainly helps you. And then it's, a, it's a, the advice I give to all my, young staff here. I have a sports science analyst that I work alongside. I have um, some SSC coaches and I always encourage them to go down that route of, you know, getting their coaching badges because I think what's really, really important is that they understand the game now, you know, as, as much as having a degree in sports science or SSC, I think they they have to understand the game as well. Um, and I think that was, that was a, bit, a huge advantage for me. 
So with your sports science, kind of strength and conditioning head on, what, how, is, how has your philosophy developed over time with all these influences, with different managers, with obviously your coaching qualifications, with your playing experience? How has that formed the kind of physical side of your philosophy? Well, I think, you know, you can have all the qualifications in the world, but, you know, probably the key thing for me is, is, is very much about building relationships and earning trust. Um, not just from the players, but but from the staff as well. I think that is really, really key. Um, and you know, I, it, it's not something that you can you, you can gain straight away. I think it needs to be achieved over time. Um, and I think you know, with, with the sort of turnover of players that you have, you're constantly trying to build those relationships. You're try, constantly trying to to build trust. I mean, we, we've had a a window here in the last couple of weeks where, you know, we've signed four new players. So, you know, it's my job now to try and build it, build some trust and, and, and build that relationship for those four new players. And I think that is, that is really, really, uh, really key. And I think it's, again, you know, going back to the, you know, playing background, I think that has, that has helped me massively. Um, I can relate to, you know, like I said, you know, if they're out of the team or if they haven't played well or, you know, I, I can relate to that because I've been in that position as well. Um, but I think as well, you know, being flexible with players and, and you know, being understanding of them, you know, showing um, that empathy towards them, you know, I think that's really, you know, I think the, you know, the makeup of, of, of players has, has changed massively now and they're a different animal. And I think you need to adjust. Um, so, you know, I, I, I tend to sort of, you know, put my ego to one side really and, and sort of look at it as, you know, it, it's about the players and what can I do to try and help the players as, 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 best, as, I, as best I can. So how was your, how was your delivery and how was your, I suppose, your, your, the day-to-day methods that you employ, how, how's that changed over the years as how we've had to or you've had to change the way you deal with players given their different personalities and just how I suppose evolution in sport has taken us where you do have to be a little bit more flexible yeah absolutely and I've I've, I've found it more um, since we've come into the Premier League and the calibre of players that we've now signed I think you know I've certainly had to adapt to that you know I think um you know the players that, that, that you know we brought in here at the club over the years have, have come from big, big clubs. You know some of them, you know, a, a lot bigger than Crystal Palace. Um, so I think it's a re- it's a really, really key skill to have. You know how to manage these players and how to talk to them, how to communicate them with them. Um, I think players now, the modern player has has a lot better understanding of sports science and, and strength and conditioning. And I think that's it's a good sign because obviously they've you know they've taken on board what they've been taught over the years um, from the various sports science and fitness coaches they've had. Um, but I certainly feel they understand it a little bit more and and they ask more questions and you know you've got to be ready for that. Um, but 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 I think you know that that communication is key and and, and really understanding the player. Um, I mean we had a player last season. You know, I think he probably played two minutes of, of Premier League game time, but was in pretty much every squad. Um, so when you do your post-match running after a game, 
know, the poor lad was, you know, every game he knew he wasn't going to get on. You know, he played two minutes and, and every week, you know, I was having to say to him, come on, let's go, let's go. You know, so I think you have to understand that. You, you have to understand their situation. And, um, you know, again, that that's something that university probably will never teach you. Mm-hmm. So in terms of the, in terms of how the calibre of player has gone up since from your time at Crystal Palace. Has there been increased expectations on you from a player point of view, like how you deliver, what you deliver, um, how much interaction you have, or even if that may be less? How has that developed over time, what the guys expect from you? Yeah, I think that the expectation level has, has increased. Um, but at the same time, we've you know, we've developed our department, our, you know, not just the sports science department, but the whole medical department um, from where we were, you know, when I first joined. Um, you know, I have, you know, three, I'm lucky enough to have three SNC coaches and, you know, a sports science analyst. And, you know, so where, where, whereas before, you know, I was finding myself sort of running between jobs of sort of rehab coach, you know, Doing the warm up for the first team and, and the early sort of passing drills in in in, in day day to day training to then running into the gym to set up the gym session and you know I, I, I you know although you know you were you were busy and constantly kept on your toes deep down you kind of knew that you know you weren't doing everything as well as probably what you could have so over the years we've um, we've developed the department and um, we've 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 got more staff in and. You know the club have the club have been really good in that respect. We've you know put forward our plan and and, and you know where we wanted to go with it, and and the club has backed us. Um, so now I think we've got a you know we've got a set of staff and and you know a department that you know we're really happy with now. Um, and I think that the players are getting you know a top class sort of treatment. So how in, in terms of that evolution. It's it's an interesting one. It's something that's come up a couple of times with this kind of progression as a as a coach. Maybe you get to a um, lead S and C coach, and then the kind of you, get, you hit a, a bit of a, a block, and the next step up is is more management. Then you're actually doing less of mm. what made you actually really good, which was the S and C coach. And now you've got a couple of maybe mm. members of staff under you, and you're actually managing that. How have you? Kind of navigated that your evolution with now at one minute you're doing everything and then all of a sudden you've got mm. people in various positions taking on the roles that you used to and you're almost like well you're, you're a manager how's that evolution been for you um it's it's been tough um it's it's a great question because you know i often think about this um you know day to day because you, you're absolutely right i I'm nowhere near doing as much hands-on work as what I was before. Um, and sometimes I feel guilty for that. Sometimes I think, oh, geez, I need to be in the gym more. And But at the same time, I completely trust the guys that are in there. Um, so I, I think, you know, through the through our, through our recruitment process, we've, you know, we, we've made sure that we're getting the, you know, the right people for that position. But but also the, the people that I that I know I can trust and, and, you know, can handle, you know, taking the lads in the gym, 25 lads in the gym and it not being a problem. Um, even, even last season, you know, I was still sort of on the, on, on the side of like the rehab, sort of pitch-based rehab. Um, and it was just, 
like I say, you just you couldn't do it as well as you wanted to do. If you had three or four injuries and you're also looking after the, the, the fit lads that were training, it was very, very difficult to manage. Um, but I've worked my way through it, I think. Like I said before in the interview, you know, I, I never really had a mentor. So I'm, I've never really had someone to go to and, and sort of say, look, you know, what do you think of this? And, uh, you know, do you think this is the right way to handle this? So I've, I've kind of had to do it through trial and error, really. Um, but at the same time, you know, probably wouldn't be able to do it if I didn't have the support of the guys around me, you know, um, you know, Zafik Bell is, is um, a club doctor here and, you know, great experience. We have uh, some really, really good physios and, and like I say, SNC coaches and, and, and rehab coaches here now. So without their support, I think it would be very, very difficult. Excellent. So let's have a little dive into the some of the stuff that's going on day to day at the club. And we're in the middle of the, well, just working into the international break. England playing in a couple of days. So how does how do you manage the international break as a Premier League team where everyone, well not everyone, but certain players disappear and then you're kind of get carry on with the lads that aren't going international duty and then everyone reappears and you've got a game to prepare for. How do you manage that as a uh, head of department? Yeah, again, you know, it's something that we, you know, we, we didn't have to deal with when we were in the championship and, and, you know, those first couple of seasons in the Premier League. But since we've, you know, become an, uh, an established Premier League club, um, you know, we've signed more and more internationals. So we find now that, you know, when that international break is on, we, we're kind of left with, you know, 10 or 12 players, whereas before it was probably 18 to 20. Um, and it, it is it is difficult, um, but it's one of those things you, you, you have to deal with. You know, most clubs deal with it. Um and it, it is it is tough. We uh, we we kind of change it really, you know, from the first international break to sort of like the last international break, which is usually in sort of March time. You know, I still feel during the first couple of international breaks that the players are still working on their fitness. So we don't, you know, we, we give them a little bit of extra time off, but we don't, you know, it's not one of those where we sort of say, oh, okay, well, lads, you know, come in on Monday and we'll see you sort of next Monday type thing. Um we still, you know, we still train as normal. I mean, this week, for example, I still think we've got about 14 players here. So we can still do some good work. But at the same time, conscious of the fact that, you know, although, although it may not seem necessary at this moment to give players time off, when you get to March and April time, um, you know, you tend to look back on those these international breaks and think, you know what, we made good decisions there by giving players time off because they still look fresh they're still you know they're still running they're still still working hard so it's 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 a bit of a balance um probably the most difficult thing is is managing those lads that are away and then that just turn up on a on a thursday uh before the saturday game um that's probably the difficulty because you just don't know what they've done some some of the bigger federations obviously you know are very good at um uh, getting back to you with with what their player, what your players have done, and you know they'll give you GPS reports. But some of the lesser federations, you don't, you know, you don't really hear anything from them, and they just sort of turn up on a Thursday, and and that's it. So I guess there's an element of sort of you know crossing your fingers and hoping that they all come back fit and healthy. Um, and and probably the biggest problem I think with international breaks is you know those lads that that go away um, and don't play because I think that's when, you know, if you've got lads going away on international break and, and sort of playing, 
you know, a 70 minute game and a, and a, you know, a 90 minute game, you know, you're thinking, okay, well, they're getting some good work in some, but those that, that don't get on and don't get much game time, it can be difficult because I know during international breaks, you know, they don't train particularly hard. Um, so, like I say, that, that that's probably the the real difficulty managing them, those boys that, that that don't play. So when they when they come back on a on a Thursday, how are you getting any if the, the smaller federations, for example, how are you getting any idea of what they have done or what they haven't done to be able to prepare for the Saturday or the Sunday game? Just just speaking to the players, really. Um, you know, we had you know a couple of lads go away on uh, Afcon in the uh, in the summer. Um, unfortunately for us, they, they they did quite well and got through to the sort of latter stages of the tournament. So, um, you know, when you come back into pre-season, um, you know, I think I think players now have to be given three weeks off after their last game. So, you know, we've got three lads sort of turning up with with tango ten days before the start of the season. So, um, there's not a lot you can do really because obviously you've got you've got the managers sort of saying to you, "Well, I need them. I want them playing." You know, Wilfred was one of them and. You know he's, you know he's, you know our, our big player. So um, we've got uh, we've got the managers sort of saying I, I need them back and I want them playing. And then you kind of sports science head is saying, well, I appreciate that uh, Gaffer, but you know he hasn't done anything for three weeks, and you know we need to make sure that there's a, you know there's a, a gradual progression to to what he's doing. So um, you know you kind of meet in between, I guess. Um, that that's that's just a risk you take. Uh, so we're going to take a very quick break in the chat with Scott. I hope you're enjoying part one. So part two kicks off with a little bit of a chat around international breaks so that carries on from, from part one and how he manages people or players that aren't involved in internationals. Then we discuss a slightly prickly topic when it comes to especially those working in the Premier League or in very high-level sport, and that's the My Guy um issue so players bringing in their own physio players bringing in their own strength and conditioning coach are working with individuals outside of the club now i realize that this won't be applicable to a lot of people out there but i think it's a really interesting topic and something that i think is gonna filter down the leagues and filter down the sports um given that that the amount of money involved in uh in pro soccer is probably right up there with the with the most um money rich sports so yeah really interesting chat around the my guy um mentality for some of the players and how scott deals with that which sounds like they deal with it really well at crystal palace and it's more of an integrated approach rather than very segregated which um which probably easily to fall into but just before we do get into part two i want to say a big thanks to fatigue science for sponsoring this episode today so fatigue science have exclusive access of the saft model which is an algorithm developed by the US Army. And if you listen to my episode with Ian Dunican, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. So the SAF model analyzes uh, a number of different factors in your sleep history to predict your fatigue for the day ahead. So the alertness score indicates fatigue predicted effects on your reaction time, your lapse index, your mental output, all, all things that are obviously essential for the performance that you're gonna undertake that day. So as you can tell, it is much more than a sleep tracking device. However, it is a sleep tracking device, but not only does it track sleep, um, it considers the 
time you went to sleep, how well you slept, how much sleep debt you have, and even your local sunrise and sunset times. So a really impressive bit of kit is the Readyband from Fatigue Science. So if you are interested in getting to know a little bit more about Fatigue Science, head over to their website, uh, fatiguescience.com, but also follow them on Twitter, at Fatigue Science. Also sponsoring the Pacey Performance podcast today is Omega Wave. So Omega Wave is the only non-invasive at rest technology on the market that analyzes readiness to train for both the brain and cardiac analysis. So using DC potential and HRV to understand your brain's energy levels and autonomic nervous system balance, it allows you to use objective data on recovery and readiness that in turn helps you to truly individualize training and then optimize performance. Omega Wave also measures ECG from the V6 position, and this data can be used by the medical practitioner to check cardiac health on a frequent basis. So this measurement only takes four minutes to perform and results are visualized in an intuitive way thanks to their windows of trainability concept. So Omega Wave is used by hundreds of elite sport, military and law enforcement agencies and are now the official partner of the UFC Performance Institute. So if you want to learn more about Omega Wave, visit their website, which is omegawave.com and on their social media channels. So in, in terms of the lads that are left behind, I know you said about, you know, managing them carefully with, with this buildup that's going to happen over the next couple of months. And it's having that in mind, knowing that that's, that's coming. But in terms of like workload changes, is there a, do you step things up for them guys and then give them rest? Do, they, do you kind of carry on as usual? So it's, you know, there's no differentiation between when the international lads are there and when the international lads aren't there. How do you manage that workload across this these next couple of days? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm a big fan of, of game minutes. Um, and that's not, that's just not in the international break. That's all the way through the season. Um, I like I like players regularly playing game minutes. Um, so in the first couple of um, international breaks, you know, I try and encourage the club to, 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 to find some friendlies and, and some competitive games against, you know, opposition that we're not familiar with. So, you know, I don't mean, you know, an in-house under 20, a game against the under-23s. I'm talking, you know, can we go and play, uh, you know, a Fulham or somewhere like that, you know, where the players are actually playing and preparing, um, you know, for, for a proper game. Um, it's it's a difficult one because you you have to find that balance, like I said, of, of giving players time off, but at the same time ensuring that this training week isn't seen as as a as, as a deload. I mean, it still needs to be a, a, a tough week. I don't think you're ever going to replicate the same loads as what you get in a normal training week, um, but you, you have to try and get there as 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 close as you can to to where they would be. Um, like I say, you know, previous seasons. Um, we've had a game on the Friday, so we'll, we'll train on a Monday and a Tuesday. We'll have Wednesday off. We'll train on a Thursday, and we'll have a friendly game on a Friday, and give the give the lads the weekend off. Um, I, I kind of like that structure, particularly in the first couple of um, international breaks. Um, we haven't done that this this, this international break, um, purely down to numbers, really. But um, yeah, you try you try and get as much load into them as you can with obviously, you know, without sort of trying to chase numbers and, and you know, uh, killing the players, I guess. Interesting. Okay, cool. So in terms of the, um, well, one thing I wanted to chat about, and I think this is probably a good time to 
to chat about it is something that's come up a couple of times in the in the podcast and people have been quite tentative in their response to this because it is a it is kind of be a a touchy subject uh, and something that does bring up um, maybe a little bit of animosity sometimes but I'm really glad that you mentioned it to me about having a little chat about it and it's the the my guy challenge as you called it which is mm. players bringing in their own certain certain staff whether it be a physio or a fitness coach how do you guys at Crystal Palace deal with that and is that something that's been happening for quite a while now or is that very much a you know a last 12 months type thing probably a little bit longer than the last 12 months I'd, I'd probably say you know the last three seasons we've started to see it a little bit more often um again you know going back to sort of the caliber of players that we're you know we're signing now you know a lot of them are you know have like you say this this my guy that you know i've got my own physio i've got my own fitness coach and we do this and we do that and it's 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 interesting really because I can understand it if, you know, a player comes in and, he, you know, he's an absolute machine and he's quick and he's strong and he's powerful and he's, you know, he's, you know, he's playing every week and, 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 and you know, available for every game. But the funny thing is, is, is most of them have got their own physios and fitness coaches are the ones that don't move particularly well. <laughs> you know, they're, not, they're not particularly strong. They're not particularly powerful and, and you know, athletic. Um, so it, it's quite interesting, but I mean, we we're quite open here at Crystal Palace, and and you know, we we sort of say, okay, well, you know, if if that's you know, if you've got your own physio, your own fitness coach, no problem. Um, we'll we, we can accept that as long as there is you know open communication between both parties. Um, what we what 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 I don't like is when you know guys are sort of you know, we'll have a gym session on a Tuesday and, and lads are you know sort of not doing it properly and then you find out a bit later through Twitter or Instagram that they're they're, they're off in the gym in the afternoon with their own fitness coach doing probably the, the exact same exercises that you were going to give them in the gym anyway um, so you know I think it's a, there is a balance you need to have that communication absolutely you know the players the players are not going to get rid of their fitness coach or physio you know just because you sort of turn around and say well you know we don't want you to have that physio um, so you kind of have to accept it I guess um, but like I say you, you need to have open communication about it because you know otherwise you know that the player is going to be overloaded and you know you, you don't really know what they're doing um, we find it a lot with with the um, with with the foreign players when we sign foreign players, you know, and I think that's it's probably a little bit of you know they're probably you know, coming to a new club, new country, and you know they need something to hold on to, you know, from, from their from their previous club in their other country, and I think maybe it's a little bit of a comfort thing for them, you know. Um, but we, like I say, you know, communication is key for me in, in those situations, and you know we're we're quite happy to pass on what we do and what we plan and, you know, GPS information, no problem. I'll pass that on. You can have a look at it and, and you can tell me what you think and, you know, we can, we can work together. Um, there's no point, I don't think, in, in, you know, causing a problem. It only upsets the player and that's the last thing you want. So is this something that you try to discuss up front, like almost the point where this guy is just have to sign for the club or is it often something that comes up and just kind of seeps in you see something on instagram see something on twitter you hear a few conversations then you figure it out 
how does it normally play out at, at the club? Uh, from my experience, it usually comes up in medicals. Um, you know, we'll, we'll sign a player. Um, uh, the club doctor will come in and explain to us, give us a rundown of, of what he's seen, what he's found, uh, and also sort of say, look, you know, he's got his own fitness coach that he's worked with at, at wherever. Um, you know, he comes over to the UK. He's playing coming over to the UK once a month. Um, so have a you know to, to you know speak to us. Are we okay with that? Absolutely, no problem. I, I would have no problem with that at all. Um, and um, and talk to talk to the player as well. I mean, we we had a situation last season where you know one of the players um, wasn't comfortable doing what we were doing in the gym. Hadn't done it before in his career. A little bit older. Um, and sort of, you know, said, you know, it's not helping me. I don't, I don't like it. And we were like, okay, no, no problem. You know, we're not going to sit here and make you do it if, if you're not happy with it. Um, he, he brought his fitness coach over. We sat down and, and we all discussed it. And um, it was quite amicable in, in, in the end, to be honest with you. Um, so we're, we're quite flexible in that regard. At, at the same time, you know, I think you do need to, you know, you need, do need to be strong on certain things, you know. Um you know, I heard a story the other day, you know, one of the players asking if he can get his clips, his you know, clips from a game so he can show his guy. And I thought, well, that, that's a new one. I've not heard that one before. I've, I've, heard, I've heard physios and fitness coaches, but I haven't actually heard their own sort of coaches, you know, football wow. coaches. Yeah, uh, that, that was a new one to me. Um, I think that's probably crossing the line a little bit there because, you know, if, if you want to see your clips and discuss your clips, don't, don't discuss them with, with some guy that's, you know, doesn't work at the football club. <laughs> so that was, that was probably, yeah, that, that's the one that probably crosses the line for me. So are these, are these external guys, like, kept barring meetings and things, they do their work with the player away from the club? Or do you invite these guys in and go, okay, because you're working with X player – you can use our facilities after the lads have gone or whatever. How does that work? Yeah, we, we haven't had any of them come into the, to the football club and, and do it. Um, we'll sort of come to some arrangement where we'll sort of say, look, you know, th- this is the session that, that, that we're doing today. This is the exercises we're doing. You know, uh, let us know what you've got plans uh, with your guy or we can run it by you. If you want to add any extra uh, exercises in, um, anything particular that you want to work on, we're quite happy to do that. But we've not really had it where, you know, I've got some guy standing in, in, in the corner of the gym working with his own individual player. I, I, I wouldn't be comfortable with that, I don't think. And that's the same physio-wise that see the guy out of the out of the club? Yeah, yeah. A few of the boys, you know, perhaps see their own physio. Um, but, but again, I don't think the physios would be too happy with him just rocking up and, and you know... <laughs> Popping out, he's popping out his own bed. Client, yeah, player yeah. jumps on. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, it's, it's the same with the surgeons. You know, we, we, you know, a lot of the lads now will want to see their own surgeon in their own country. Uh, again, we're, we're, we're quite comfortable with that. I mean, that's not really my area, but you know, we've had it previously where you know we'll get a you know we, we'll have surgeons here in the UK that that you know do the majority of our procedures and then. You know, if, it, if it's a player from France or Spain or wherever, they'll say, well, you know, I'd like to see what my surgeon's got to say. So, um, and again, we've been quite receptive to that as well. How does that, and this is definitely not my area, far from it, how does that look with liabilities and things like re-injury and 
complications and all that kind of stuff. Mm. How does that fit when they've got their own surgery yeah. in their own country? Yeah, I, I mean, again, not really my area. I wouldn't like to comment on that. Um, but again, you know, communication again, again is key. I guess um, I, I think now that you know, the, it's not just a case of him going over and, and, and having surgery and treatment somewhere else. I think it would have to be in agreement with with the club. You know, it would have to go to you know the, the higher management where you know everyone's in agreement and you know there would be a you know an agreement in place. Um, I don't think it's just a case of yeah, I'm going to go nip over to, to France to get my, you know, to get my knee operated on or ankle operated on. You know, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's not just some random around the back street. Yeah, yeah. With a few knives absolutely. and chopping people up. Yeah, yeah, okay. Mm, yeah. Um, so we've had a little chat around international breaks and people arriving late from tournaments and how that's kind of managed on a day-to-day basis or week-to-week basis. How do you manage those players that aren't getting the minutes? as you know compared to some of the regulars how do you manage them in terms of keeping their fitness as it should be keeping them mentally right not only from a coaching point of view but from a performance and medical point of view yeah it's you know i think this is a yes this is a tough one because it's not just a challenge for the manager this um i think it's it's a challenge for the whole medical staff and sports scientists and see you know, we, we tend to have a lot more contact time with the player than, than the, the manager and the, and, the, and the coaching staff. So we tend to see a lot more, you know, we speak to the player a lot more. And, you know, so you, it is tough. It's very, very tough. It's, it's, it's quite challenging. And I think last season we used the least number of substitutes in the whole of the Premier League by a considerable amount. Um, so we had a lot of players last season that just weren't getting any game time. Um, I think, psychologically it's difficult for them um, and, and and to deal with that I think you just need to be around them and reassure them and, and talk to them and you know just just to make sure that you know you'll get your chance etc etc and keep working hard and I think that's all you can do in, in that respect from a physical point of view um, like I said before you know I'm, I'm really big on game minutes um, so if I've got a player that hasn't played for, you know, two, three weeks, I'm, I'm looking at getting him some under-23s football or trying to organise a friendly. Um, I've seen it too many times where, you know, you'll have a player that, that, that won't play for, for three or four weeks or he'll get, you know, the last five minutes of a game one week, he'll get 10 minutes the following week. And before you know it, you, you, you're four weeks and this player hasn't, hasn't played a game. And then on that fifth week, He's called into the team, expecting to, to, to start the game and perform well. And, and you come off and he gets substituted on 70 minutes and the manager sort of turns around to you and sort of says, oh, well, you know, he was way off it and doesn't look fit. And you kind of say, well, to be fair, he hasn't played for five weeks. And, you know, I'm not sure what you're expecting. So for me, I'm always encouraging, you know, the manager and, and, and the coaching staff to get players into 23s games as often as we can. Um you know, even in international breaks, can we have that game um, at the end of that that, that first week? Um, and and again, you know, regular monitoring of you know fitness levels and and, and testing players and you know um, ensuring that they're you know maybe they're doing a little bit you know, general stuff, sort of doing extra after training that type of thing. Um, but but that's that's probably as much you can do really. Um, 
a certain amount of it is, is obviously up to the player as well. Um, but it certainly brings challenges. Um, you know, you don't really want to be sending, you know, senior players, first team players to, you know, Barnsley away on a, on a Monday afternoon to play in a friendly. So we try and, you know, we try and uh, get him into as many home uh, under-23s games as we possibly can. Were you like that as a player, that you felt like you needed minutes if you haven't been playing? Um, do you know what? It's, it's one of the things I think as a sports scientist over the years I've I've probably changed my mind on. As, as a player, I, I was I always used to think, you know, I play enough games in season why, why do I need, you know, why do I need more games in preseason? But moving into this position now, I think it's really, really, really important. And, and we, we have a set number of minutes that we want every player to play in preseason. Um, I think it's really, really important that the, the, the players hit, hit, hit our target of sort of 400 minutes and, and play three uh, competitive 90 minute games. Um, now that that gets quite difficult towards the back end of preseason because you know if you have a friendly on a on a Saturday and you're asking players to play 90, 90 minutes, then where where does the other members of the squad get their ninety minutes from? So we we will all, always organise Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday as best we can throughout preseason to ensure that you know those players are, are getting ninety minutes. And again, that's something probably I've picked up from from actually speaking to the players. You know, um, over the season, sort of saying to you, you know, how are you feeling? Do you think you need more minutes? And how are you feeling in games? And you know, someone will say to me, you know, yeah, I, I feel okay, but I'm 70 minutes. I, you know, feel like I'm blowing up a little bit. Okay, well, you know, we'll try and get some more minutes into you. That, you know, so that's that's something that that's you know, over the years, I've I've learned really is is probably one of the most important things. And in terms of the lads that don't get on, say they're on the bench on a on a Saturday, do you have excuse me, do you have specific aims for them guys when they're running afterwards? Do you have specific drills or specific targets that they have to hit before they can go and have a shower and jump on the bus? Yeah, we're um, we're quite strict on that, um, but at the same time, the Premier Premier League are quite strict on on what you can do. Um, ideally, I'd like to you know, have a little small-sided game on the pitch, at, you know, at the Emirates after a game to, to get the lads some, some football in, but you can't do that. They're, they're very strict about what you can do and where you can run and how long you have to do it. So we try and, we try and concentrate really on, on the high-speed running and, um, and, and the accelerations, decelerations. We know we're never going to get lads, you know, to, to get the volume in that sort of 20-minute window you have. Um, so we sort of say, okay, well, you know, what are our key, what are our key things? Um, we like them to get, you know, as much um, high speed running in. Certainly, we want the lads to get some sprint distance in. One of the things we've introduced over the last couple of years is is regular exposure to max speed. Um, I'm sure you know this has been discussed on the podcast before. Um, the importance of lads, you know, hitting those sort of you know above 93 percent of their max speed regularly. Um, so that that's one of the key things that we do after games, um, and, and and I pretty much have a the, the same session that we do after every game. It doesn't it doesn't vary that much because I kind of know what it gives me. The, the, the players really, you know, they want to get in and out. They don't like doing it. Um, and again, you know, it's it's one of those where you kind of have to sometimes you know speak to the players and coax them into um, in, in, into doing it, um, but. Like I say, it is a it is an important sort of twenty minute window. 
do you deal with the younger lads different to the older lads in that situation? And the only reason I asked that is I heard a, I think it was on the Peter Crouch podcast and he was discussing, I think it was a Tuesday night that played away and he was on the bench, not get any minutes. He's last year of his um, professional career and he's been dragged outside in, you know, zero degrees to do some running and clearly wasn't happy. So do you deal with the younger lads as well, you know, differently to the older lads, more experienced or is everyone, everyone the same boat, just get it done? How do you manage that? Yeah, uh, you know, I would, you know, absolutely that there's there's flexibility there. I think it's another, you know, it's a term that, that gets used quite often, but I think it's key for people in my position. You know, you, you, you have to show, you know, a certain amount of respect to some of the some of the senior players, absolutely. Um, and I would, I'd, I'd, you know, I'd be very reluctant to grab, you know, someone like Peter Crouch out after a game on a Tuesday night and, and make him run. Um, and I think the other players, you know, they, they see that, you know, I mean, we, we, we've had it before where you might have a player that's played consistently for the last six games, gets rested for a Tuesday night. Um, you're not then going to drag him outside and, and, and make him run, you know, because of what he's done over the, the previous six weeks. You know, that's, that's he's got some good chronic load into him. So, you know, you're not, you're, you're not trying to sort of build any more chronic load into him as such. So, yeah, absolutely. I'd be certainly flexible in that regard. Um, you know, it's at the same time, I think you need to make sure that it's, it's not a cop-out. You know, you've not got the same players sort of saying, you know, I can't do it this week. You know, you know, hamstrings are tight or, you know, I've got a bit of a cold and flu, which we've had many times before. Um, <laughs> So, so absolutely, you know, I'm I'm quite open to, to to sort of making slight adjustments and et cetera, et cetera. So, do you use objective data to justify that? Whether that be to, to other coaches, to other players, to the to the player, maybe holding them back to say you're not doing it, or you're only doing half because of X, Y, and Z. Do you use GPS data or anything like yeah. that to justify why they would or wouldn't do the running? No, we have, um, you know, all the players wear GPS after games, that's for sure. Um, and I know what my, you know, my, my set session after a game, you know, I know how long it goes for. I, I pretty much know, if everyone puts in the effort, I pretty much know, you know, how much high-speed running we'll get and how much uh, sprint distance we'll get and how many accelerations and decelerations we'll get. Um, so, so yeah, we, 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 we have targets um, so on, on that Friday, uh, after training, when we sort of leave to go up to Liverpool, Manchester, wherever, um, I, I will have a, a list of players that, you know, that are on the bench and these are the targets they need to hit, um, f- for us to sort of maintain their, their, their chronic load. We, we're quite big on that, actually. Um, you know, maintaining that, that sort of, you know, that, those high loads, um, we don't like players sort of, you know, dropping in and out and, um, and, and not doing those extra bits. Uh, it's really, really important for us that, you know, over the course of the season, we can look back and, you know, see that, you know, player X has, has, has performed, you know, 1,500 metres of, of zone five running consistently over the course of the season. Excellent. Have you, have, over the years, have you seen a, an increase in the squad size at, at Palace or has that fluctuated season by season depending on signings and... Things like that. Um, no, not really. No, there's, there's, there hasn't been too much of a, a change in squad size. Um, there's a no, not really. I mean, there's a few young kids that are that are on the radar at the moment that are that are trying to break through from the 23s. That 
Um, I think the Premier League regulations mean that they don't have to be in that 25-man squad. We've had a couple of lads that have trained with us consistently since since the beginning of pre-season that actually aren't, I would guess, classed as first-team players, but um, have been with us since since day one. Um, but I wouldn't say there's been a, a you know a huge change in the squad size. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the only reason I was going to ask was uh, I was asked asking was um, if that's changed how you manage the group because there's smaller group or bigger group and you can be a bit more liberal with the, the things they do on a, maybe a Tuesday night or after a game on Saturday. Whereas with a small group, you might have to be more bit more careful. Yeah, I, I think you know staffing has helped us in, in in that regard. We've got a lot more staff now and do a lot more sort of small group um, work um, on a day-to-day basis. So, you know, rather than having sort of 25 lads pile in the gym and, um, and, and you know, go about their work, we sort of split them into different rooms and, you know, they'll have a coach each, you know, they work in sort of fives and sixes. I think you get better buy-in from that. Um, it's the same, funny enough, with, with the pitch stuff as well. You know, I think if you try and run – or if you're doing an activity or a running drill or something with, with the players in, in a group of, say, 18, it's very, very difficult to, to manage and oversee. Um, so I, I like the idea of, you know, perhaps, you know, 18 players, you've got two, two sixes playing a small-sided game and, and, and the other six are out doing some, some work with me. Um, that's one of, the way, one of the things we do in pre-season quite a lot is that sort of um, – I can't remember what they call it now, but um, uh, you know, two teams work in small sided and, and, and one work. I think it's called Carousel. I'm not, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah. sweet. Happy days. Well, I could go on for ages and absolutely sap the rest of the afternoon talking about the things you do at Palace. But I'm just going to ask you where, if people got questions about what you do down there or anything that we've chatted about, what is the best place or where is the best place for people to contact you? Uh, yeah, they can contact me on on my working mode. I mean, we're quite, you know, we we, we don't hide too much down here. I'm I'm quite happy to to speak to people, and um, you know, if they show an interest and they want to come down and watch what we do in the gym, and that doesn't mean that I can have hundred hundred people come down there and, and and watching the lads in the gym. But certainly, if if there are people that are really interested in in you know how we structure the week and and what we do at the gym. Uh, by all means, you know, we, we'd, we'd be happy to have people down here, no, no problem. Are you happy for me to give your email out or do you want to yeah, read yeah, it out now? Yeah, that's no problem. That's no problem. Okay. Um, yeah, have you got, you've got my email address, haven't you? I've got, I've got it, mate. So if people want to get in touch, just yeah. drop me a message on Twitter and then I can I can pass it on. Yeah. Um, e- easy as that. Yeah, that's no problem. Does that sound all right? Yeah, that's fine. Perfect. Well, I'm going to let you go, Scott, because I know it's um... – you probably need to, be getting, need to be getting home. But um, thank you very much for your time. Really, really appreciate it. And thanks for giving us the insight into what goes on at, at Crystal Palace. No problem, Rob. Thanks for having me. Thanks, mate. Bye now. Thanks for tuning in to episode 260 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So I hope you enjoyed the chat with Scott. Big thanks to Scott for giving up his time and uh, telling us all what goes on at Crystal Palace. It sounds like a great environment and a super, super open environment. I'm hoping to get down to the club soon to see what's going on in person, which would be great. Also, big thanks to Hawking Dynamics, to I Measure You, Omega Wave and Fatigue Science. So I really appreciate your support. Keep listening. There's going to be more great guests coming up over the next couple of weeks from a variety of backgrounds and some 
non-traditional sports, let's say, definitely non-traditional sports coming up uh, next week. So thanks again for your support and I'll chat to you next week.